This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. Get fast speeds, even when everyone is online. Working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. We got a question from Thomas. How do I pick a pocket square? All right, fashion guru Tim Gunn, can you help? Well, I'm wearing one now. Um, and in my case, it was easy. I matched it to the lining of my jacket. Which so is red. My, my, yes, exactly. So it's red, and I chose a red tie to go with it. It's a matter of extracting a color from the suit or the tie and having that be the dominant color of the pocket square. I had to get over the pocket square hump myself. I spent years appreciating men who wear them, yeah. and, but I, haven't had, I simply was not able to do it myself. I would lay the jacket flat on, on my bed. I would put the pocket square in, and I had about 20 at the time. And I would think, that looks pretty good. Then I would put it, the jacket on. I'd look at myself in a mirror and say, you look like an ass. <laughs> so out the pocket square would come. And it was really when I made the Smurfs movie or when I was on the Smurfs movie, yeah. um, Rita Ryak, the costumer, um, is the one who got me into the pocket squares because she insisted. And so I got used to it. Well, no, a pocket square is I, – I don't, I don't have any pocket squares. See? Yeah, but to me, I, could I just take a napkin and fold <laughs> it up and put it in – does it have to be a specific cut of fabric? Uh, no, it doesn't have to be a specific kind of fabric, but it, it can have too much volume. And, uh-huh. and a, a, a napkin is usually 16 or 18 inches square. Yeah. So it's going to be entirely too big. You won't be able to stuff all the volume of the fabric into that pocket. So yeah. um, it, it needs to be smaller than that. You might be better off taking a color T-shirt – Oh, really? Out. Yeah. In fact, you could even use the zigzag scissor, mm-hmm. um, that stitch or that cut, because it won't fray. Uh, it'll give an interesting accent to the edges. There you go. Yeah. Tim Gunn is the author of the new book, Tim Gunn's Fashion Bible. Now, I don't often wear a blazer or a suit. Me neither. Don't have a lot of uh, pocket square opportunities. Don't have any pocket squares. I think we should try and start a fashion trend. I think I'm going to wear a pocket square with my shirt. I think that's a great... I will go home tonight, and I will make a pocket square for myself. Maybe you could wear cargo pants and wear multiple pocket squares in any of the many pockets. Wherever I have a pocket, there will be a pocket square. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Just a short show for you today. We're heading to Atlanta. But later on, we're going to have Nick Offerman here to share some wisdom from his workshop. You know him as uh, Ron Swanson on NBC's Parks and Recreation. But before we get to that, Mitt Romney is all over the news after a video leaked of him at a private event talking to some donors. You've you've no doubt heard about this. Uh, He says in the video, 47% of Americans, quote, believe that they're victims... So this hasn't been great press for Romney or his campaign with only, what, 50 days left before the election. They scrambled to put together a late-night press conference. It was like 10.30 at night. Uh, we'll, we'll hear a bit of that. Well, um, you know, it's not elegantly stated. Let me put it that way. I'm speaking off the cuff in response to a, a question, and I'm sure I could state it more clearly and in a more effective way uh, than, I, than I did in a setting like that. Um, and so I'll... I'm sure I'll, I'll point that out as time goes on, but we don't even have Joining us now to talk about how to recover from bad press like this is Mark McKinnon. He's a Republican strategist who worked on the campaigns of George W. Bush and John McCain, among others. So, Mark, how do you think the Romney campaign has handled this so far? 
I think that they were in a hole and they dug deeper. Oh, which is not what you want to do in a <laughs> this hole. This is not what you want to do. You know, the first mistake is, you know, when you call a press conference at 1030 at night with the candidate, that that is sending a signal that you have hit the panic button big time. Well, so I guess the question is how, Mark, as someone who's been in this position as a strategist, how would you have done that differently? You get everybody together. What do you guys say when you get up to the podium? Okay, well, first of all, you know, because the way he did the press conference that time at night, nobody took it live. You know, if you really want, if you think it's a big problem and you've got to correct it, then you want to do it when everybody's watching. Wait until the next morning. Make sure you've got full press attention. You probably get a lot of networks and, at the very least, cable television taking it live. Try and have a human moment. Uh, you know, I mean, people, the American voters are forgiving uh, uh, for, for, for people who make mistakes, but you've got to admit the mistake. I mean, you can't go up there and say, well, I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't explain myself very well. Uh, you've got to say, uh, you know, listen, th- th- that, that, was a, that was a moment in which uh, that I regret. Uh, deeply, I was talking to an audience, and you know, frankly, was trying to tell them what they wanted to hear, but it's not what I believe. <laughs> I told them what they wanted to hear, but it's not what's in my heart, not what I believe. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that the, I'm sorry I said it. I'm sorry it happened, but I'm glad I have this opportunity to tell you how I really feel. Do, I mean, does it make sense to maybe double down, though? I mean, that's kind of what he's doing. He's doubling down, and you know, doubling down in, in this case just really means drawing the line even brighter and just saying. You know, you know, people didn't like to hear what I had to say, but this is a time for hard truths, and the hard truth is that too many people are, uh, you know, really are taking more from the government than they're giving back, and that it's, you know, at a time like this, we've got to rethink our priorities. Now, I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's a losing strategy myself, but, uh, you know, he's running out of options. I'm going to say that sounded pretty good coming out of your mouth, though. <laughs> Well, it sounded so decisive. It sounded like, no, I'm going to take a stand on this. Yeah, well, you know, that's, uh, you know, he showed some inclination to do that earlier in the week. So, uh, and, you know, he's got some conservatives out there kind of echoing that notion. So that may be what we see. So when you, uh, when you look back on uh, candidates in the past who have had to deal with the crisis, is there like a, an example you look to of somebody that was able to turn something around really well? Well, my favorite example is uh, George W. Bush when he he lost by 19 points in New Hampshire, and that you know the, not many people come back from that kind of near death experience in politics, particularly when you're the front runner. And I remember we got the news of the tracking polls uh, around lunchtime, and one of my compatriots who'd been in a lot of presidential campaigns said, "Well, let's just go pack our bags because we're going to be fired." And, uh, and, and we got a call to come over to the president's, to, well, then governor's apartment. And we figured that's when we were going to get our walking papers. And we walked in and he said, uh, listen, I just want you all to know that, you know, it looks like we're going to lose and it looks like we're going to lose big. And I want to be clear, this is entirely my responsibility. You all did exactly what I've asked you to do. You did your jobs well. We're going to walk out of here with our heads held high. But I, but I don't want there to be any doubt. This is my responsibility, and you know, it was just such a leadership moment at a really low time. And that's you know that's where a lot of us who work for him saw the sort of qualities in him that made us stick with him through thick and thin. And so you know, in times of crisis, I think it's, it, and difficult times is often when you you see the best of people who you end up wanting to elect. 
it seems like a, a good rule of thumb would be in a crisis, don't fire you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, listen, I mean, a lot of people, uh, I mean, a, a lot of the advice that Mitt Romney's been getting this week is to, you know, fire all the people around him. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's his campaign. He's the guy on the ballot. And, you know, so I, I don't think this reflexive notion that you should fire people is, is the right response. Well, Mark, thank you for your time and for your free uh, consulting advice to the Romney camp. Wait a minute, free? I thought we were on the <laughs> clock here. <laughs> It's time, of course, for Wisdom from Nick Offerman's Woodshop. That's what we call it when Nick Offerman shares wisdom from his woodshop with our producer, Blythe. Okay, today, Nick, we have a question from Vince. How do I handle my mustache in its early slash awkward phase? Gosh, um, that's a good question. I'm thinking back to when I was seven or eight years old when uh, when my awkward mustache was not quite full yet. My advice is to keep shaving. Um, the thing that makes your hair grow fuller and uh, and more plentiful is shaving it, actually. I, I rub a lot of lard into my upper lip, usually by accident, but I've, I've learned to enjoy it, and it kind of stays in my mustache, and so there's always a terrific flavor on my face. And just, is that a, sort of a bacon-to-face it, yeah, I mean, with me, it's an inadvertent application. The uh, whiskers have a wicking action, and so whatever you're consuming, you're, you can't help but have it wicked to the entire acreage of your upper lip. And so I actually, I have to go in about once a week with a, uh, a scraper or a putty knife, and I, and I scrape out two or three ounces of lard that has accumulated at the base of my whiskers. Nick Offerman will be performing his comedy show American Ham Saturday, September 29th at Royce Hall on the UCLA campus. Tickets are available now. That does it for today's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that finding a pocket square is not as simple as I thought it was. I'll be honest, I've never done a pocket square, and here's why. You know how you have to cut the pocket open, the breast pocket on the suit? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never cut one open. Even the, the, the bottom Never. Pockets? Never. Where do you so, put stuff? On the inside pocket. Yeah, inside pocket. Yeah. I don't want to ruin it. Well, so, so wait a minute. Do you put a pocket square on the inside pocket? Yeah, if you if you were on the inside of my jacket, you would think, that that guy's really put together. That He's coordinated on the inside. And you would probably also think, what am I doing in here? I'm inside another man's jacket. Well, maybe it's time to give a mustache another shot. You think so? No. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern is technically Leah Menzer, although she hasn't done anything yet. Keep it up, Leah. Send us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I mean, I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Here's a question for you, Tim. This is from Jaya. How do they paint the team playoff logos on the NFL and NCAA football fields? How do they paint them? Yep. I'm assuming with a stencil and spray. Oh. They're really big, though. I still assume a stencil and spray. Just big stencils, yeah. big spray. Yeah, giant stencils. All right. I don't see any other way that they could do it. 
and get it to be so precise. I'd imagine it's some sort of painting Zamboni that they drive over the field. I love that idea. Do you think it's true? I wouldn't. I don't know. I love the idea of a painting Zamboni. Yeah. I really do. Everyone should have one. And in fact, in fact, if they had home versions, think of what people could do with their lawns. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have to water it so much. You could just put a different paint, a little different picture and on it. And think of yeah. what you could do for holidays. It's the ultimate in tackiness. This message comes from NPR sponsor Spectrum Business, who knows small businesses need a great network to succeed. Switch to Spectrum Business and get faster internet and advanced phone with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit business.spectrum.com slash reliability.